All right. Welcome to camp. My name is Mandy Stenberg, and I am on staff with the retreat team here at Hidden Acres. Been here about a year. If you were here last year, you'll remember that it was like, I don't know, my second week on the job last year. Well, they kept me, so that's nice. I'm, I'm glad. It's good to be employed. Um, also, if you were here last year, raise your hand and give yourself a pat on the back. Because I challenged you last year. Does anybody remember the challenge? That we not meet in the chapel because we had too many women. Guess what? Yeah, as our registration just kept growing, I finally texted Rochelle and then Steve, and I said, I think we got to move. <laughs> So I'm really excited that so many friends have joined us and that we get to experience this weekend together. So um, next year, <laughs> I'll tell you about that tomorrow. Uh, let me give you a quick word of introduction uh, to a few people and then we're going to kick it off because you did not come here to hear me talk. Um, this friend next to me is Christy Hepp. If you were here last year, you also remember Christy. At the end of last year, I said, you're coming back next year, right? Like, I didn't even give her a chance to think about it, honestly. So, but she brought friends. So these gals are going to lead us in worship all weekend. And then in just a little bit, you're going to get to meet one of my dear friends, Carrie Mentor. Carrie and I met in 2014. Um, just one of those God stories. If you're bored this weekend, ask us about it because God did something so cool and brought us into a fun friendship and kind of partnership. So I'm so glad that you get to meet her this weekend. God is doing amazing things in and through Carrie. And so uh, I am going to pray for these ladies as they lead us. God, thank you so much for what you've done to bring each one of us here. And no doubt that for some of us it was a struggle to get out the door to get here. And so thank you that we can leave all that behind and in the next few minutes, we can really stop and consider who you are and what you do for us and how you know us and lead us and that you brought us to this place this weekend for a specific purpose. So let us find that. Let us find you and really praise you, worship you, and know love and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, what a gift, right? Uh, what a gift to sit in a room with, what, 500 women? and just be surrounded by the voices praising God. Um, it is a gift. And I know, like, okay, so some of my friends are here with me. Like, shout out to my friends from, from back, in, back in Ankeny, where I'm from. So there's a text stream going around, and last night it was like, hey, don't forget a towel. And this morning someone's like, hey, I almost forgot the towel. But here's what I know about that person that almost forgot the towel. She probably has every meal for her ch child labeled, put in the fridge, and ready. Everything for work on Monday is done. Um, and that's probably most of you, right? Like, you took care of a lot of people in order to get your bodies into this seat tonight. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Um, and so you're here tonight, and, and it's probably stressful. And here's what I know about the first evening of a women's event, is everyone is like, oh, we made it. And that's about all we have to offer. And 
that's okay. And so here's our invitation tonight. Here's, we just worshiped. We just praised the Lord with everything we had to offer, even if it was just like, I made it. Hopefully I don't have to leave the cabin in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Like, if that's all we have to offer, that's our invitation because Jesus is on his throne and he's saying, just come to me. And so that's what we're going to do this evening. We're just going to come to Jesus. We're like, here's what we got. Will you transform us? Will you change us? Will you make us understand and fall in love with you even deeper by the time we leave this place tonight? Before we jump into what we're going to be talking about through this weekend, let me introduce myself a little bit so you know who I am um, as I teach to you all weekend long. My name is Carrie Mentor. Uh, My husband, Brent, is the lead pastor at our church at Keystone Church of Ankeny in Ankeny, Iowa. Um, I have three teenagers. I can't see the screens from here. Oh, there they are. There's my family. The, the joy of my life is my family. I've got three kiddos. My oldest is actually here. Um, she's a senior in high school, and then I have a junior in high school and a freshman in high school. So all high school teenagers, lots of fun. Um, also, it's the lots of the last of everything. It's like, oh, it's our last Labor Day with all five of us in the house. Oh, it's our last. So it's super special to me that she um, gave up a weekend, and she came and is going to join us Join with all of us um, this weekend. Okay, in addition to my husband and my kiddos, I also work super part-time for the Baptist Convention of Iowa with church planting wives. I have a heart for pastor's wives, so anytime I can support a pastor's wife, do something to encourage pastor's wives, that's, that's kind of my jam. I, um, I put a lot of time and effort into doing that. And I also run kind of a small online ministry where I write and teach and create Christian content. Um, I, my latest study will be released in January through Hosanna Revival. If you know them, they do a lot of Instagram stuff. They're really beautiful products. So I, that's kind of where I spend most of my time. Uh, now that my kids are a little bit older. When they were young, I spent t- a lot of time at home with them. Re- this last year... I had the privilege of graduating with my master's of theology from Midwestern Sem- uh, Theological Seminary. It was kind of a lifelong dream of ours. Um, when my husband was in seminary, when we first got married, it was like, okay, you're going to finish, I'll work full-time, and then I'm going to go, and you work full-time, and we were like, we'll get all our hours, and we'll go overseas, and we're going to be living, like, live overseas for our, our life. That was kind of our life plan, and you know how, like, God sort of changes things a little bit. Um, and we got pregnant, and then we had kids, and then we stayed in the U.S., and, and all the different things, and so 20 years years later when God gave me the opportunity to go back to seminary, it just sort of felt like, oh, God, you are so kind. So that's been something fun recently um, that I've accomplished. But this weekend, we are going to be in the book of First Peter all weekend long. It's a very small book, the end of your Bible. So if you want to just turn to First Peter, or if you have it on your phone, you want to open up to First Peter, you can do either way. Um, tonight, we're going to just be in like five verses in First Peter 1. And there's something kind of, um, one thing you'll notice about me as I teach all weekend long is you'll probably never hear me say an opinion about anything in life. Like if you, if you read anything I write, if you listen to me teach ever, I'll never probably give you an opinion. And that's why, because, because the older I got, the more I realized that when I go into a different season of life, my opinions change. Anyone that is a little bit older, you can attest to that, right? 
Yeah, like your opinions change. Suddenly you're like, oh, what I really was strongly about when I was 20 is not so strong, strong like that. Like, let me give you an example. When I was in college, I can vividly remember walking across the University of Northern Iowa's campus with my best friend next to me, and we were like, people that have graduated from college have just forgotten how busy we are. We are so busy, I cannot wait till we graduate and we finally have our weekends free. <laughs> right? But I felt very strongly about that, that these, pe these people, these women that had graduated just forgot how hard life was for me as a college student. Oh, and if you're in college, like, you'll never have on a weekend free ever again. It's called adulting. Um, so, so, but I felt very strongly about that. But then, let's fast forward a few years. We're pregnant with our first kiddo. Brett and I walk into a restaurant. Over in the corner, there's a lovely family, but their toddler is going stupid. And, and Brett and I look at the toddler, and we're like, we look at each other, and we're like, that's bad parenting right there. <laughs> our kid will never do that. We will teach them boundaries and how to behave in public. Right? And we laugh because what had happened? I had three kids in three years. If we had the privilege of going out to eat, I'm like, I don't care how stupid you act. I didn't have to cook and I'm not cleaning. You do you. <laughs> right? And so now if I walk into a restaurant and there is a toddler or a child of any age that is not behaving well, I'm like, oh, poor buddy. He probably skipped his nap. Perspective changes as you age. Your opinions change as you experience different things in life. And so that's one of the reasons I chose First Peter for this weekend is because I kind of love Peter, the author of our book. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of those 12. So he followed Jesus everywhere he went. And not only was he one of the 12, he was kind of one of Jesus' inner circle. So there was three that Jesus, that you see really closely with Jesus. And Peter was one of those. And so he was intimate with Jesus. He saw him teach. He saw him heal people. When Jesus would teach parables and he didn't understand them, he got Jesus alone and he could ask for clarification. Like, isn't that, wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, Jesus. There's like, what does that mean, right? That was Peter's relationship. He sold everything out to follow God. But he's also a little spicy, got some opinions, right? Like when they're in a boat and Peter or Jesus is on a hill playing, you can see this in Matthew 14, Jesus is on this hill praying, the disciples are out in a boat, a storm comes up, gets a little rocky, Jesus walks on water out to the boat, Peter sees him and he's like, Lord, if that's you, command me to come walk on the water, right? Like would we be that bold? I don't know. I don't think I would be that bold to be like, ooh, that looks like fun. Can I walk on water too? Right? But that's Peter. He's like, oh, Jesus, can I, can I walk on that water too? Command me to do it. We also see Peter, a few chapters later, he's the first one that looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the first one to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. He's wholeheartedly devoted to God, and he loves him. But then, when Jesus is trying to explain to Peter the plan of God, hey, listen, Peter, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be murdered, and then three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Peter's like, oh, wait, 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 that does not make sense. Not on my watch. You will not be killed on my watch. And Jesus has to step in the way and say, hey, Peter, like, get behind me. You may not understand the plans of God, 
But it is still the plan of God, and it is still good. And Peter is so focused on not understanding God's plan, even though he's followed him, sacrificed his life, he loves him dearly. He's so focused on not understanding the plan of God that when Jesus is arrested, Peter flees, and he runs, and he doubts, and he lies. He's like, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. He's overcome with fear. He doesn't know how to live or what to do. Because he couldn't understand the plan of God, It was hard for him to fully trust God. But then, so this is the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. These are called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the the account of Jesus' life here on earth. So when Jesus is walking on earth, you're going to read about it in those four books. The book of Luke and the book of Acts are written by the same author. Luke is going to be book one, Acts is book two. So the end of Luke, we see this scared Peter who's hiding. He doesn't understand what's God's happening. The book of Acts begins after Jesus has ascended, and the book of Acts begins, and we see Peter standing on the streets preaching to thousands, and thousands are being saved, and all that he's saying is like, I don't understand God's plan, but I know what he did. And his perspective completely changed. No longer is he like, God, can you explain things to me? And I don't know what this means, and I can't, I can't comprehend how that could be good. No longer is he focused on that. You see this perspective shift in Peter where he's like, nope, I'm just preaching about what God has done. I don't need any other details. I'm going to preach about what God has done. And for the rest of the New Testament, you see a different Peter because his perspective had shifted because he witnessed the resurrection. And in his witness of the resurrection, his witness of Christ ascending back into heaven, he said, oh, yeah, there's really no way that I would have come up with that plan. Maybe I don't need to understand God, I just need to trust him. And so we see this entire perspective shifts, and when he shifts his perspective, his entire life changes. And so we're going to jump into that. What would it look like for us this weekend to allow God to make that sort of perspective shift in our hearts and our minds? And we're going to use Peter's words to help us. He found this perspective shift. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter verses 1, or chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 here. These are the verses that a lot of times we skip over when we're reading a chapter, but it ki- or a book of the Bible, but it kind of outlines the entire book. It's super important. It says, to the Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Blithnia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. In this opening, Peter is trying to instill the right perspective on his readers. So what is that perspective? Right away, verse 1, the word chosen. This letter was written to those who had put their faith and trust in Christ. If you're sitting in this room and there has been a moment in your, t- in your life when you acknowledge, yes, I cannot save myself, and you've confessed that your need for Christ and asked him to be Lord over your life, you are chosen. That is, that is the definition of you. You are chosen. 
It's the very first thing Peter wants us to be reminded of. And if you're chosen, then look at the next, wa- uh, next word. Then you're in exile. You're living as an exile, which means you are living as a minority group in exile. So when we think about this, a lot of times we think, oh, in the Bible, this was the Israelites, they were scattered. So yeah, they're exiles because they're not in Israel. True, but you and I are scattered living in a world that is not our home as well. We are the minority group. Oftentimes we look around us and we forget that we're living in exile and we get frustrated at why society is misbehaving. You're like, oh yeah, we're, we are exiles. We're chosen, we're living in exiles, but how are we chosen? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the work of the Spirit, and the obedience of Christ on the cross. These are powerful phrases. God himself, the creator of the whole universe, the creator of everything, including you, knows you personally. He sees you intimately. He sees into your heart, and he's like, I chose you. That's powerful, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But here's, even, here's power, too. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that word sanctifying just means being made more like Christ. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You know what that means? It means the Holy Spirit, God saw you. He chose you. The Holy Spirit began working in your heart and softening it so you could say yes to God. And then not only that, the Holy Spirit, when you said yes, the Holy Spirit lives inside you that enables you to be obedient. That next phrase. But here's the cool thing. God knows, like, hey, yeah, the Holy Spirit's inside you, enabling you to be obedient. But when you mess up, to be sprinkled by the blood of Christ, you've already been forgiven powerful. You're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Sometimes we lose this perspective that actually life has nothing to do about us, right? Chosen by God through the Spirit sprinkled with his blood. Like, That has nothing to do with us. And so Peter's starting this book right away saying, switch your focus. Your focus is not on yourself. Your focus should be at God. And sometimes we lose this perspective because we forget that we're exiles. And so we start focusing more on the misbehavior of society around us. We get frustrated. We get angry. And that's where our focus starts to to, to look at because we forget, oh, yeah, we're exiles. But often, our perspective, we lose this perspective because all we can see is the negative things about ourselves. When, I, when the kids were little, when they were like three, two, and one, right? We st- I stayed home pretty much full-time with them. I taught part-time a little bit. And we had like this rhythm going as a stay-at-home mom. Like I would wake up, I'd read my Bible. We had these beautiful clocks that turned green when they could get out of their room. So at a certain time, their clock would turn green. You'd hear, Mommy, I'm awake. And I would go get them out of their bed, and I would make them breakfast, and we would do some sort of fun. Maybe we'd go to the park. Maybe we'd play in the backyard. Like I was in their lives, right? We would have a good morning together. I'd make them a, a lunch. We'd read books together. And then nap time would come. And if anybody has ever had a small child in their home, and you know nap time is important for them because otherwise you know what the rest of your day will look like, but they don't always love nap time. 
And so nap time would come up and then everybody would go crazy and I would be so frustrated and it didn't matter that like the five hours before we'd had this beautiful moments together, the, the 10 minutes of trying to get everybody in the room, I would sometimes just lose it and be like, oh my gosh, everybody just put a head on a pillow. I don't care which pillow you choose, just choose a pillow. I can't talk to you for a few minutes. And then nap time would be over. They would get out of their beds. We would play, do something fun. I would make them dinner. They were well fed. My husband was a musician at the time. He would come home, like after dinner, that weird space after dinner that you just try to fill it until you can get to bedtime. We, he would pull that guitar out, and we would sing worship music together. We would read from the, the Bible together. We'd like have family worship, and we would put everybody in bed and kiss everybody goodnight. We, I had 11 and a half hours of the day where I was a nurturing, loving mother that would point their hearts to Jesus. But guess what time of the day that I would remember when I'd lay my head on that pillow? The 30 minutes where I was frustrated and angry and was not my best self. And isn't that the truth of a lot of us is that we tend to remember those negative moments. And what Peter is saying is saying, quit focusing on the wrong things. Life is about what God has done. It's not about you. So in those moments, it's like, oh, Lord, you personally know me because you chose me. And you are sanctifying me through your spirit. You're making me more like you through your spirit. Lord, you pointed out today where you are working on me. Thank you that you are sanctifying me and working on me. Thank you that you've sprinkled me with your blood. Let your grace reign over this household. Lord, you are Lord over everything. Continue to work. Focus is on God, not on, I cannot believe I did that, God. Oh, I'm such a horrible person. Why do I keep struggling? Peter is saying, quit focusing on yourself. Focus on God. Perspective changes everything. And so right away when our perspective shifts from am I qualified or am I good enough to God simply chose me because he's God, we can better understand verse 3, 1 Peter 1, 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Usually we don't think of blessing God. We think of like, can you bless my friend? Can you bless me? Can you bless? Like we think of receiving or asking God to give something to somebody else. But when our perspective shifts, and we're like, oh, it's all about you, God. Our language begins to shift as well as our posture before the Lord. And suddenly it's like, oh, I've got nothing. Just brought nothing to the table. Blessed be you, God. And that verse 3 goes on. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. So mercy might be a familiar term. Let's just define it to make sure we're all thinking the same thing. So mercy is the forgiveness shown to somebody who it's within your power to punish. So it would be a correct act to punish the person. They might, but you gave them forgiveness. You withheld that punishment instead. That would be mercy. And so I want you to think, Just you're going to use your imagination that God created inside you for just a second. I want you to imagine just a path. Maybe it's a garden path for you. For me, we have these trails around my house, and I can, like, step out of my neighborhood onto this beautiful path, a paved path, 
and there's all these mature trees over the top that grows over the top of it, so it's just this little path. That's what I kind of picture in my head. I don't know what it is for you, but picture what is a, like this beautiful path. Because of his great mercy, and think of that path, that is God's mercy. He just created this path with his mercy. Because of his great mercy, you have been given new birth. So here's what, what that means here. At salvation, the moment you placed your faith and trust in Christ, not just intellectually, but with your whole life, you became a new creation, a new birth. He created this beautiful path. Again, you did nothing. He created this beautiful path because of his mercy. He's intrinsically merciful. That is a characteristic of God that you can see always. Because of his mercy, he created this path. You were off the path. When you chose to step on it, he gave you a new birth. You became a new creation. He called you out from the weeds, and he called you to step on this beautifully cultivated path because of his mercy. And through the sprinkling of the blood that we read about in verse 2, you received eternal salvation, a relationship with God. He removed your past and he made you a new creation. He gave you a new birth. Your life with Christ began with a new birth. This is this is sometimes more difficult for us to actually believe. Like intellectually, you can know this fact, but sometimes it's more difficult for us to believe and walk in. I'll tell you a little example. So when I was in high school, I didn't necessarily, um, I wasn't really sold out with this whole Jesus thing. I didn't know, like, I was just, it just had a lot of questions. So I made a lot of choices that would not be honoring towards God. But I graduated high school, I moved overseas, had an encounter with God, gave my life to him, was like, You're, I'm going to live forever for you. Came home, moved to Abilene, Texas to go to college for a year, went back overseas, took some time off of college, went to U University of Northern Iowa, got involved in Navigators, so and did all this stuff, then left there and moved to San Antonio to student teach, met my husband there, lived there three years, moved to Fort Worth, we're there for nine years doing ministry. Then we get called to go to a church in Waukee, Iowa. And I'm like, oh, it'd be closer to my family, fun. But then I walk into a grocery store for the first time and look someone in the eyes that I made very questionable choices with 17 years earlier, but she has not known me since making those questionable choices. And guess what my emotions went? was like, uh, uh, I'm different? Like, right? Like, you immediately, the shame from your past wants to be like, oh, are you still that person? Have you just made good choices since then? but that's actually who you are. And what Peter is saying you, is you've got to get that it's not just like, oh, now you can make good choices because you love Jesus. He's saying, no, it is a spiritual reality that is impossible to understand, but you are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. There is no just making yourself better there is brand new. The shame of our past lies to us. If you made mistakes before stepping onto that path, 
When you stepped onto that path, you became a new creation. The old is gone. That is no longer defining you. If you make mistakes while you are on this path, you are a new creation, and the blood of Christ is sprinkled over you, giving you complete forgiveness. You are not your past mistakes. Our shame wants us to believe the weeds of our path, past have followed us onto this path of mercy. But they have not. They were cut off at the cross. They do not have a hold on you. They do not define you. There are seasons of life where you need extra support or work to make your mind or your body walk as if you are a new creation. But just because it takes work for your mind or your body to believe the truth does not mean that the truth is not true. If this is something that's difficult for you to believe deep in your soul, I want you to write down the verse 2 Corinthians 5.17, and I want you to write it places where you'll see it often so that the Holy Spirit can just indwell that into you and push it down into your soul so that you can believe Therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. See, the new has come. God does not lie, and that is in his word. But we're not done yet. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. When we stepped on, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope, we sang about it earlier. When Jesus died, he took our consequences for all of our sin on himself. One of the consequences, or the consequence for sin is death. And death is meaning this eternal separation from God. This has always, since the Bible is one big story, Genesis to Revelation, it's one big story. So eternal separation from God has always been the consequence for sin. You look at Adam and Eve, clear back in Genesis, you, when they chose sin, their punishment was banishment from the garden. They were escorted out of the presence of God, a cherubim garden, they could not get back into the presence of God. That was their consequence. A few chapters later, you see Cain and Abel, you see Cain murder Abel. What's his consequence? He is to wander the earth away from the presence of God. So since the beginning of time, that's been the consequence for sin. Eternal separation from God. So when Christ went to the cross... He took our sins and our consequences, that eternal separation from God, on himself. And three days later, when he rose from the dead, he demonstrated that nothing is stronger than him. Our fear, he's stronger. Our health issues, he's stronger. Our parenting struggles, he's stronger Often, we feel like it's like good versus evil, right? And that is not true. God proved in the resurrection that he is stronger than any spiritual force. Now, he is patiently waiting for all to believe in this broken world. We're like, well, why doesn't he just conquer it now? The scriptures tell us he is patiently waiting for all to believe. So the world is broken and we see sinning, sin down here in brokenness. But God, God is stronger than all of that. And the resurrection proves it. So because of the resurrection of Christ, we can live with eager expectation. Because Christ is alive. 
Our hope is based on the resurrection of Christ. He had victory over death, and it gives us assurance that one day we will be resurrected for all eternity. No more pain, no more suffering, no more brokenness. There are seasons in our life where our sin, our brokenness, our circumstances may feel like we will never get through. But when we shift our focus back onto God, on the truth of the resurrection, we are reminded Jesus defeated it all. And we have a living hope. Our living hope is anchored in that past, Jesus' death and resurrection, but looks towards the future, the promise of eternal rest. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If this is difficult for you to believe, you want it to sink a little deeper into your soul, I want you to write down the reference, 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Living hope. It goes on, 1 Peter 1, 3 goes on here. It says, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you've noticed here, let's just go through our list. You're chosen, you're sanctified, you're forgiven, you're enabled to be obedient. There's your lavish, mercy is lavished over you. You've been given a new birth, you've been given a living hope, and now you're given an inheritance. We still have done nothing. Peter is saying, shift your perspective. We're starting the book of 1 Peter. This is what is important. Shift that perspective. God has done all of it. We have an inheritance that can never, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is as indestructible as God's word. Nothing you do or have done can change your inheritance. Just like nothing you did got you to this place, nothing you do can undo your salvation. It is all because of God. And how can we be confident that our inheritance will remain imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? That next verse, verse 5, one of my favorite little phrases in scripture. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's the thing. We just talked about it. The resurrection shows nothing is stronger than God. And verse 5 says, you are being guarded by God's power. Oh my goodness. If that doesn't want to cause us to like stand up and raise our hands and say, blessed be God the Father. Nothing is stronger than Jesus. We have this living hope. We've, been seen it, we've seen it in the resurrection. The resurrection proves it. And he's saying, and not only that, you're on my path that, I cr that he created with mercy. And now he is guarding you with the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. The only part that we play is that little phrase, through faith. This is the continual action required in the life of the believer. Lord, it doesn't feel like you're guarding me, but I know your word says you are. You are guarding me. I believe that. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are sprinkling me with the blood of Jesus and giving me forgiveness. I believe that the continual action of the believer is that faith. So as we start this book of 1 Peter, I think the perspective Peter is trying to give us here is to remind us you are exiles. No need to complain or get frustrated about it. It's a fact. God chose you. He is sanctifying you, making you more like Christ through his spirit. His spirit is enabling you to obey him. And when we mess up, he gives us forgiveness. Then focus on that visual picture. He is, his mercy has created a path for you. And when you chose to step on it, he's, given you, he's made you a new creation. He's given you a living hope, an eternal inheritance. And God himself will guard you. This is a lesson we will all need to be reminded of often as we go through different seasons in life. And it's one I've actually had to relearn recently. A few years ago, um, I started experiencing just some chronic pain. Started in my back, kind of went through my whole body. Um, The pain became so intense that there were days when it was hard to leave my house. I went from being really physical, physically active, independent, um, able to take care of, like, I can do this, to, like, I, I don't know if I can even take the kids to school today. It was humbling, it was difficult, and no doctor could figure out exactly what was happening. They were throwing a lot of scary words my way, but, um, like, different diagnosis, we think it might be this, we think it might be this, we think it might be this. But nobody could tell me for sure. And the whole time I'm walking through this health crisis, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm following God. I love him still. I never doubted him. But my mind focused on my health, my discomfort, and what would it look like to be healed. That was my focus. Oh, I learned a great thing in my Bible reading this morning. Okay, so what diet should I try that maybe will reduce some some of these symptoms? And I'm not talking about, like, ignoring doctors and sitting in a closet and praying your illnesses away. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm so thankful for smart people that God gave the brains to be doctors. What I'm talking about is the attitude of your heart and your mind. Because, see, we can intellectually agree with something. Yeah, God's my healer. But our emotions and our daily life don't actually demonstrate it. This is Peter in the Gospels. Yes, you are the Son of God. Not on my watch will you be killed. That was me. Yes, you are the Son of God. But not on my watch should I have to suffer with chronic illness and pain. This cannot be God's plan. Until one day, um, I I was in a hotel room by myself. I honestly, I'm trying, I don't, I don't want, I'm trying not to be dramatic, but it was honestly, I felt like I was going to die. Like, I, my head felt like it was going to explode. I was in, I had never been so sick in my whole life. I couldn't even, like, look at my phone to call my husband. It was like a, hey, Siri, call Brent type of moment. I couldn't get up off the floor. 
He's like, do I need to come get you? I'm like, I'm not leaving this place. I can't move. Like, I don't know what's happening. Um, turned out a doctor had s- switched meds too quick, and I was having some symptoms from some of the meds. But, but in the moment, I didn't know that, right? I'm laying on the bathroom floor after two and a half years of chronic pain and full-on exhaustion. Chronic pain, if you're suffering from chronic pain, come, come see me afterwards, and I just want to give you a hug and pray over you. It is exhausting. You can't think straight. You can't have conversations straight. You can't do daily tasks, and people can't understand why you can't. And so it had been two and a half years of exhausting laying on this bathroom floor, and suddenly I felt the Lord just speak quietly into my soul, is my presence enough? And I'm like, I mean, I would say yeah. <laughs> but here was the question, if this is your life from here to the, you, the day you die or I, Jesus returns, whichever comes first, if this is your life, is me being with you enough? You say you love God. You, love God. you say you want to teach his word. You teach all about him. You teach how to follow him. You discipline your life. But is God himself enough? Talk about a perspective shift. Because I, I had to lay there on the bathroom floor and really think about that. If this is my life, unpredictable and full of pain. God, you are enough. And that's the posture First Peter is giving us tonight. It's a lesson we can say yes to in some season, and then it's really difficult in other seasons. But God is enough. He has given you a path a new birth, a living hope, an eternal inheritance. He is guarding you. He is enough. The world around you will not confirm that because you are in exile. They are not like you. They do not have enough because they do not have God. But you do. And if you have God, you have enough. Shifts your perspective because our perspective changes everything. So tonight, as the band comes back up and begins playing, um, maybe you want to stand and sing with them and just reflect and let the truth of God's word wash over you. Or maybe you just want to sit for a minute and let the spirit of God speak to your soul. And here's what I want you to ask Are you focusing on understanding God's plan more than on what he has done? Ask God to shift your focus this weekend. But if you are in this room and you are saying, yeah, that's great, but I am still over in the weeds. I have never actually taken that step onto the path that God laid with mercy. Tonight's your invitation. Your perspective cannot shift until your very first step is to step onto that path of mercy. Come talk to me afterwards. Talk to the women you came with. Talk to the worship team, Mandy, whoever. Talk to somebody. Just say, I want to step on that path. What does that mean? Because that's the beginning of your perspective 
changing. Lord, I just am so thankful that you gave us the gospel so we could watch Peter struggle through this as well. As, and we can look at his life and say, oh, what changed, Lord? And you changed him. You opened his eyes to the power of you, and you opened his eyes to who you really were, and the, the lack of our need to understand your plan, we just need to know you. Lord, and so this weekend, I just, I just stand before you, and I humbly ask, will you do that in all of our hearts? Will you begin to turn our heart's affection more towards you than to our own understanding? Will you begin to shift our perspective on the truth that we are chosen intimately known by you who created all things, that you are sanctifying and working on us to make you more like us and enabling us through your spirit to be obedient, but you've already covered when, we're, when we just can't do it and we mess up and sprinkled us with the blood of Christ. We'll rejoice in the fact that you're, you are merciful and laid this path of mercy for us, Lord, and when we stepped on it, you created a whole new being. I do not understand how that works, but I am so thankful. You have given us this living hope because of your death and resurrection, and you are preserving an inheritance with, for us. And so powerful to me to meditate on that you are guarding each of us with the very power that raised Christ from the dead. Lord, help our focus to be on that. Help us to think about it over and over and over again this weekend, Lord. And help our hearts to be content with the truth of who you are. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As we, oh, as we get ready to sing, I just encourage you to continue to ask the Lord to reveal what are you focusing on. Let's lay that at his feet as we begin our time together. I made little memory cards for you. We're going to work on memorizing verse 2 of 1 Peter because we want to walk out of this weekend with that perspective shift. So I'll have those for you when we leave tonight too. But let's memorize that. Let's meditate on that. And let's ask the Spirit of God to change our perspective.